I'll tell you a story this morning about two families who lived next door to each other. The families were quite different. The first family was a Christian family. They had a nice house and a well-kept yard. <clears throat> they were the perfect neighbors. They never drank or smoked or did drugs. They were, were, they were the all-American family. They were quiet. They were clean-cut. They loved football. They didn't fight with one another or curse. The kids were never in trouble with the law, and they all went to church every Sunday. But the second family, the family that lived next door to them, had nothing to do with God. They didn't take care of their house. Their yard was always a mess. They drank and they smoked and they used drugs. Their home life was constantly in turmoil. They were always cursing, always fighting. Their kids were always in trouble with the law. And they never went to church. And so one day, one of the teenage girls in the first family came home and told her dad, you know, dad, I think there's trouble next door. Uh, their kids told some of my friends at school that their mom and dad are going to get a divorce. Well, the dad was sort of distracted because it was the first day of college football, and he took a minute to respond. And then he said, divorce, that's too bad. So the daughter went into the kitchen, and she told her mom the same thing. Her mom was getting game day snacks ready. And her mom said, well, uh, that's what they get for not going to church and for living like they do. Let that be a lesson to you in case you ever get the notion you, you don't want to go to church. I hope we get some decent neighbors in there after they're, after they're gone. And so, as expected, the first family split up and moved away. New neighbors moved in. They turned out to be an all-American family. They kept a nice house and a nice yard. They never smoked or drank or did drugs. They were quiet, clean-cut, loved football, didn't fight with one another or curse. Their kids were never in trouble with the law, and sometimes they even went to church, and the first family lived happily ever after. Which family lives next door to you? And do you see your neighbors as a problem, or do you see them as an opportunity? And now I want you to look at one verse of Scripture. We're going to begin here in Luke chapter 19, verse 10. Luke 19, 10. That's the verse we're going to begin with, which says simply... The Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which was lost. Now this morning, one of the main things that I want to share with you, and this is point number one, is what it means to be lost. As we ask that question, what does it mean to be lost? What does this word mean? Well, that's what I hope to show you today. And I'm not sure we understand what that word means, especially to God. And so therefore, we're going to look at some other passages of Scripture. I want to tell you now, I want to give you a little Greek lesson, and I know you don't want to know anything about Greek, but it's very important this morning that you understand this Greek word that means lost. It is a word, apolumi, and uh, it's used in every case in the New Testament where someone or something is referred to as lost. Now, what I want you to do this morning, my goal is to help you understand evangelism from the heart of God, uh, and perhaps in doing so, we can recover the evangelistic zeal that God meant to characterize His church and did indeed characterize the church of the New Testament. Now, this Greek word is important that I mentioned, and all you have to do is remember in Luke 19.10, it is the word lost. Now, uh, our English language is a little funny, and sometimes we take... Uh, 
we can't give the full meaning of a word in another language, and so we have to use shades of meaning in different places. So lost is just one shade of meaning. Jesus said, the Son of Man has come to seek and save that which is lost. In Mark chapter 1, verse 24, Jesus is speaking to some demons, and demons, the demons said, What business do we have with each other, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. And here, the word destroy is exactly the same Greek word used in Luke 19.10 that's translated lost. In Matthew chapter 21, verse 41, Jesus is talking about some servants that are going to come to judgment. And He said about God, He said or about the Master, He will bring those wretches to a wretched end or in the English Standard Version, it says, a miserable death, and will rent out the vineyard to other vine growers who will pay him the proceeds at their proper season. The word wretched end, or especially the end there, or death, is the same Greek word translated in Luke 19.10 as the word lost. And then in uh, James chapter 4, we're back in James again, James chapter 4, verse 12 James wrote, There is only one lawgiver and judge, the one who is able to save and destroy. And the word there, destroy, is the same Greek word in Luke 19.10, where Jesus said, The Son of Man is come to seek and to save that which is lost. And then, in Matthew chapter 10, verse 28, Jesus said, Do not fear those who kill the body, but are unable to kill the soul but rather fear Him who is able to destroy both soul and body. Exactly the same Greek word used in Luke chapter 19, verse 10, as lost. The word means to die, to destroy, to perish, to be destroyed in hell. It means to be ruined, to be lost to its original purpose. And that's the way it ought to be understood every time it's used in the New Testament. I'm going to show you one more time where it's used in the New Testament, and maybe you can put two and two together this morning. John chapter 3, verse 16. For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in Him should not perish. And in that verse, perish is exactly the same Greek word found in Luke 19.10, that's translated lost. Now that may not change your perspective of what it means, but in the New Testament it does not mean simply to be misplaced or strayed. It means in a present state of destruction and ruin and moving toward the final home for perished souls, so there is no more hopeless word in the New Testament than this one that Jesus used in Luke 19.10, where He referred to souls who are separate from God. And the main point I want to make is that every time the word lost is used, it does not refer to someone who is lost in terms of their sense of time and eternity. It never refers to the person's sense of where they are. I can't, I'm lost, I don't know where I am. It does not mean that at all. In fact... Without God's intervention, no one who is lost 
would ever know they are lost, because as far as they're concerned, they're not lost. They are not lost to themselves. They have a very clear understanding of where they are and what they're doing. So the question this morning is, in what sense are they lost? Well, a person who is lost is lost to God. And the loss is first and foremost God's if that person is not salvaged for the original purpose for which God created them. So I want to drive that point home to you by calling your attention to Luke 15. Now we leave Luke 19.10, turn back a few pages to Luke 15, and Luke 15 is a whole chapter about things that are lost. We begin in verse 1 of Luke 15. All the tax collectors and sinners were coming near to him to listen to him. Both the Pharisees and the scribes began to grumble, saying, This man receives sinners and eats with them. So he told them this parable, saying, What man among you, if he has a hundred sheep and has lost one of them, does not leave the ninety-nine in the open pasture and go after the one which is lost until he finds it? When he has found it, he lays it on his shoulders rejoicing, and when he comes home, he calls together his friends and his neighbors, saying to them, Rejoice with me, for I have found my sheep which was lost. So, let's ask a question now. When, when one is lost, who loses? This is point number two. I'm just at point number two. When one is lost, who loses? Well, when one is lost, God loses. Just as the sheep belongs to the shepherd, lost souls belong to God. Did you know that? In chapter 18 of Ezekiel, verse 4, Behold, all souls are mine. The soul of the Father, as well as the, as the soul of the Son, is mine. The soul that sins will die. Now, a sheep might value its possession, but a sheep can in no way value its own life. It might fear for its life, but it can't measure its value because only the owner knows its value. The worth of a sheep lies in the heart and mind of the shepherd. In the same way, no one of us here this morning can estimate the value of our own life. We have no way of knowing the value of a human soul, nor can we know the loss to God when one is lost. Do you ever look at a person and you look out at somebody walking down the street, maybe they got a backpack on, they're walking through town, and you consider that person as junk. You look at them, the way they live, the way they dress, the way they talk. Maybe you don't even like their color. And what makes it worse, maybe you even know the person is damaged goods. You know a little bit about their life. You know their life has been wrecked by sin. And when you look at the life of a lost person, damaged and defiled, how much is that person worth to God? Let me put that in another way. How much were you worth to God when you were lost? I remind you of John 3.16, For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son so that whosoever believeth in him should not perish. Apolumi. Why? Because the Son of Man is come to seek and to save those which are lost. Apolumi. The same Greek word. So when one is lost, who loses? God does. 
because of the incredible value of a human soul. Not only so, the person does. They miss the benefits and blessings of being part of God's flock. They'll never know God's joy in receiving them. They'll never know the comfort of God's love. They'll never know the burden lifted when a soul is forgiven and the peace of God and the protection of God's presence comes into their life. They'll suffer the consequences of being lost. Suffering is in their future. A sheep, when it's lost, suffers death. But a lost person suffers both death and hell. And as a sheep cannot comprehend its own value, you can't comprehend your value to God or the full extent of the loss when one soul is lost to the heart of God. So how passionate is God? This is the next point. How passionate is God about seeking and saving that which is lost? Well, when the shepherd in the story discovered he lost one of his sheep, that one lost sheep becomes his priority concern. Why? Because of its value, yes. Not only so, but because of its danger. It's in danger out there. And third, because of the urgency of time. The clock was ticking on the life of that one sheep. Every hour alone increased the danger that it might not be saved. Now, what part of this parable indicates just how passionate the shepherd is about finding one that is lost. The Bible says he goes after the one who is lost until he finds it. What does that mean? Well, it means he's relentless. To find the one for him is worth the effort, it's worth the time, it's worth the cost. He searches because of the value of the lost one. He searches because of the danger that that lost one is in. He searches because the clock is ticking. And with every passing second, it increases the possibility that the lost one might never be saved. So he searches and he searches. And if you're here this morning and you are that lost sheep, God is searching for you because you have value to Him. And the Bible says He searches until. And of course, when a sheep was lost, sometimes the search ended in disappointment because before the shepherd found it, the clock had run out. Let's make one thing clear. Lost people don't seek God. God seeks the lost. That was the mission of the Lord Jesus. But it's also our mission, your mission and my mission. Uh, these people are lost to the heart of God. And God will be grieved if, they're if they perish. God says in the book of Ezekiel that He has no pleasure in the death of the wicked. So how do you see those who belong to you? You talk about something that's lost. We talk about the lost sheep. I'm just telling you what God says. He says, all souls are mine. And then He gives the parable, the lost sheep. The shepherd looks for the lost sheep. He tells some other stories, and we'll talk about those in just a minute. But how about, how do you see those who belong to you? Is every person in your family precious? Do you have a child or a grandchild that you'd just be willing to lose? Would there be a loss in your family, grief in your family, if one was lost? Or, or could you manage? Would you just not miss one among those who you already have? Absolutely not. You'd grieve, you'd mourn. And so the heart of God mourns for the lost, longs for the lost, seeks the lost. Matthew chapter 18, verses 12 through 14, he said, What do you think, Jesus is speaking, if a man has a hundred sheep and one of them has gone astray, does he not leave the ninety-nine on the mountains 
and go and search for the one that is straying. If it turns out that he finds it, truly I say to you, he rejoices over it more than over the 99 which have not gone astray. So it is not, it is not the will of your Father who is in heaven that one of these little ones perish. Now this 15th chapter of Luke that we opened our Bible to is all about things that are lost. First the lost sheep, then there's a story about a lost coin. And I'm going to go through these very quickly. Verses 8 through 10. What woman, if she has ten silver coins and loses one coin, does not light a lamp and sweep the house and search carefully until she finds it? When she has found it, she calls her friends and neighbors, saying, Rejoice with me, for I have found the coin which I had lost. In the same way, I tell you, there is joy in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner who repents. So, suppose you had a jar full of coins. You had a penny, you had a dime, you had a quarter, you had a silver dollar. Let me ask you a question. Do you suppose that any of the coins in the jar have any sense of its value? Does a penny know it's a penny? Does a nickel know it's a nickel? Does a dime know it's a dime? Does a quarter know it's a quarter? Does a half dollar know it's a half dollar? And does it care? The coin doesn't know its value. The person knows its value. Some years ago in Bible school, uh, in our vacation Bible school where I was, we had a penny war. And girls against boys, we had over a thousand pounds of pennies, nickels, dimes, and quarters. But as we counted those coins, we found that somebody, somebody had broken the piggy bank for their little grandchild and had mistakenly dropped into the, the penny war an 1876 Standing Lady of Liberty trade dollar. Now, I don't know a lot about coins. I just had never seen a trade dollar before in my life. It had point nine something, nine six, nine eight, nine nine, uh, pure silver. And that's what it said. And so I scratched my head and I said, this coin must be valuable. Somebody dropped it in my mistake, so we put it in the bulletin. We said, we got a coin dropped in the penny war. It probably belongs to somebody. You didn't intend to drop it in, you dropped it in by mistake. We knew that coin had value to somebody, and we knew it was lost. Nobody ever claimed it. The pennies we gave to a mission organization, that's what we were taking up the pennies for. And so we framed the Standing Lady of Liberty silver dollar, and we gave it to that mission organization as a testimony that God provides for his people. The coin was lost. That coin had no sense of its own value, but it had value to somebody. So this thing the woman lost was just a coin. But here in this story, it was probably a very special coin, probably part of her wedding decoration when she got married. It was a series of coin, coins put together, ten coins that were part of a group. So this one coin had more value than it would have had had it just been a random coin. It was very special, very precious. And what is the response in the story of the woman who lost the coin? She searched for it, and she did so frantically. She didn't do it because she was concerned that the coin was afraid for its life or that the coin had, had knew its own value. The coin had value to her. It was hers, and the frantic search was because that which was lost to her had value to her. So when a soul is lost, that soul is lost to God lost to heaven, and lost to the riches of His glory, what does the lost one lose? What does the lost one lose? Well, the Bible says, Eye hath not seen, ear hath not heard, 
neither hath it entered into the heart of man all the things that God hath prepared for those that love Him. So we can't really describe all of that, but all of that is what's lost when one is lost. Now, what happened when the, lost, when, uh, when the sheep was lost? Well, the Bible says, He found the sheep, He laid it on His shoulders rejoicing, said, Rejoice with me, for I have, I have found the sheep which I had lost. And so when a lost person is recovered for the original purpose for which God intended, the gain is God's and there's joy in heaven and there ought to be joy at church. Because when the woman found the coin, she called together her friends and neighbors and she said, Rejoice with me, for I have found the coin which I had lost. And Jesus said, I tell you, in the same way, there is joy in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner who repents. But there's something else lost in this chapter. There's a lost son. Do you ever get Amber Alerts on your phone? Not too many weeks ago, I got one on my phone. It woke me up in the middle of the night. Loud alarm went off on my phone. An Amber Alert tells you that there's a child missing somewhere. Well, today, there's no Amber Alert going to go off on your phone, but hopefully there will be an alert go off in your heart that God has lost souls out there for whom He is seeking, and we're to join Him. Now, in the story of the lost son, that's the prodigal son, who is bothered and burdened? Is the lost boy, the prodigal, the least bit concerned? Not until he gets hungry, but he was lost before he ever got hungry. But he didn't know he was lost. The father knew, and then there's the elder brother who's at home. He didn't care at all. And when his brother came home, he was annoyed. His brother was junk to him. Well, let me ask you again, how much value do your children or grandchildren have to you? If a mother came to the back door of this church and burst in the door, whether she was black or white or rich or poor, and she came in the door and she said, my child is missing, my child is lost, help me. Every one of us would fan out across this community. We wouldn't care what color she was. We wouldn't care how much money she had. We would help her find her child, which was lost. You wouldn't sit here complacently. Jesus tells these stories because he wants us to know the value of a soul lost to God. Lost people don't know the value of their own soul. There's no way. No way you can estimate the value of your soul to God. There might be a person sitting here this morning who feels sin has left you damaged good. You're worthless to God because of how you've been living. You are not worthless. You are priceless. You have incredible value to God. Then why aren't we in panic mode about those who are lost when it pains the heart of God? A great Baptist leader from days gone by, Dr. L.R. Scarborough, made an outstanding statement. He said, the salvation of the world cost God more and requires more from man than any other movement in human or divine history. He said, to make the world, God had only to speak the word. To save the world, He had to crucify His only begotten Son. That is how desperate God is about seeking and saving the lost. For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son so that whosoever believeth in Him should not perish. Apolumi. For the Son of Man has come to seek and save that which is lost. Same Greek word. Lost to its original purpose. 
destined for hell, doomed to perish, condemned already. Across the years, I've learned that evangelism is not about technique. It's not about four spiritual laws. It's not about some plan that you can spout off. It's just about concern. It's about bearing the burden in the heart of God for another person. Look at what happened on each occasion when that which was lost was found, whether it was the coin or the sheep or the son. When one who was lost is found, there is joy. There is joy in the heart of God. And there is joy among the angels of heaven. Joy because the passion of God's heart has been accomplished in the life of one who is lost. When one who is lost is found and restored to the fold, the value of the one that God sought and found and restored is unimaginable. We cannot even understand the value of our own souls to the heart of God. Once there were two families who lived next door to each other. The families were quite different. The first was a Christian church-going family. They had a nice house and a well-kept yard. They were perfect neighbors. They never drank or smoked or did drugs. They were an all-American family, quiet, clean-cut, loved football, didn't fight with one another or curse. Their kids were never trouble in trouble with the law, and they went to church every Sunday. Next door to them was a family who had nothing to do with God. They didn't take care of their house. Their yard was always a mess. They drank and they smoked, did drugs. Their life was constantly in turmoil. They were always cursing and fighting. Their kids were always in trouble with the law. They never went to church. And as expected, the second family split up and moved away. The new neighbors turned out to be an all-American family. They had a well-kept house and a nice yard. They never smoked or drank or did drugs. They were clean-cut, loved football, didn't fight with one another, curse. The kids were never in trouble with the law. Sometimes they even went to church. And the first family lived happily ever after, never bothered by their other neighbors again. But God was grieved because every soul in that family belonged to Him and they were all lost. And His people never sought them and they have not been found. They are in great danger. And with every passing hour, it increases the probability that that family who is lost will never be saved. Tomorrow, you're going to leave your home and you're going to see somebody. It may be somebody at work. It may be somebody standing on the side of the road. It might be a member of your own family whose life is wrecked and ruined by sin. You've already written them off as hopeless, maybe even as junk. Listen, that person is not junk. That person has tremendous value to God. The greatest joy of God's heart would be that that person be saved. Will you allow God to use you just to say something? Maybe it's an invitation to church. Maybe it's to say, you know, Jesus loves you, and I do too. Maybe it's to pray and say, God, I see this family, and I don't know how you could love them, but God, help me to love them like you love them. Help me to bear the concern in my heart for souls that are lost. But the greatest concern I guess we ought to have this morning is if one of those people is you. You who've never trusted Jesus as your Savior. You, God is looking for you. God is speaking to your heart. God is drawing you because you, no matter 
what you've done, where you've been, how you've been living, you have incredible value to God. Let's pray.